Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Well, we've been live streaming here for a few years now, and we've been live streaming only for a couple of months now. And as I mentioned earlier in, at the very beginning of the live stream, maybe you weren't with us then, uh, live stream only is quickly to become a thing of the past because next week, next Sunday, May 31st, uh, the, the building will be open here at the First Naz campus, and we want to invite you to come and join us for our first worship service back together. Again, there's going to be some things you need to know about how to do that, so I'll refer you to the First Naz Lewiston Facebook page, and there you will find a series of, of three videos that will help you understand how to prepare, how to do what we need to do once we're here on site and in the building, and then some dismissal procedures. All these things are uh, processes that we have designed and that have been informed by uh, the, the officials like at the state level and here in the county and city level. I want to offer a special shout out to, the, to the, the, the government of the city of Lewiston and also the county government for Nez Perce County and to their specially appointed uh, emergency management director, Bill Reynolds, for his help in helping this church and its leadership team find a way for us to meet safely and responsibly. And so I want to encourage you, the, the First Naz family, if, if you get a chance, and by the way, you've got a chance, would you uh, maybe send a note or an email or make a phone call to Nez Perce County and to the city of Lewiston and thank them for spending uh, our public tax dollars on something that actually helps us once again gather and worship and do it in a way that is, uh, that is good not only for us, but for our whole community. I think it's time for the Church of Jesus Christ and for First Naz to say a thank you to those who've uh, kind of shown us our way through this whole thing. They were the ones who said that we needed to stop meeting for a while, and they are now helping us to reopen our doors, and I think we owe them thanks. So if you would do that, I think uh, Jesus himself would be very proud of the, the First Naz family if we'd take a little extra step like that. Stay tuned. Through the the course of the next week, we'll give you all the instructions that you need to come. And then when you come on on next Sunday, uh, one of the things you need to know is show up a little bit early because there's a process for coming in the door. And we want to make sure that everybody gets a a chance to get in the building in a timely manner. So plan on coming about 10, 15 minutes early. We will not have Sunday school. We will gather for morning worship. That service starts at 1030. So if you can come 15, 20 minutes before that, um, that that would certainly help us all. Okay, be praying about that service if you would. We inevitably, the, the best plans when you're trying something you've never done before, you find out what you didn't account for. And while I will gladly accept the responsibility for all the things that we mess and all the things that we mess up, I'd just like it better if we didn't have a bunch of those things that make it difficult. So would you pray for me? Would you pray for your church board and your staff here at church so that as we finalize our plans and as we we meet next week, it can be something that's relatively smooth and uh, encouraging and helpful for our whole church body. I'd sure appreciate that. I'd also ask you to pray for those who would love to be with us next week but can't because there will be a number of folks who need to stay home. They'll make that decision and they'll make it with a certain amount of sadness as they realize the rest of the church families here together. We want to make sure that nobody's feeling left out. So let's ask the Holy Spirit who, who's answered our prayers to bind us all together 
will bind us together here and there. I think that's a prayer worth praying over the course of the next week. Well, last week we started a four-week series that will be the, the final four sermons that I preach as pastor here at First Naz. It's a series from Paul's letter to the Philippians. You'll find it in your Bible's New Testament as the epistle. That's a fancy word for letter. Uh, the epistle to the Philippians. And so the reason that, I, that I've turned there is because while much of the New Testament seems kind of corrective, telling folks how not to live and how to live instead, what not to believe, but what to believe instead. When Paul writes to the Philippians, he said, you guys just get it. Somehow, somehow your faith and the Holy Spirit have come together in such a way that you are authentically living as individual followers of Jesus Christ, and your local church is, is a living example of what the body of Christ ought to look like in the way that it treats one another and the world around it. And the reason that I have gone to the book of Philippians uh, for the last four sermons uh, for me here is because as I read the book of Philippians, I came to realize that I am the rare pastor who is getting to pastor a church that looks very, very much like the church at Philippi. First, Naz, I want to thank you. You've been a great encouragement to me. You still are. There were some things that uh, I had misjudged about our fellowship, but that um, that I learned when we found our our kind of rhythm of life and meeting around here got disrupted. Uh, in, in all fairness, I owe you an apology and to ask you for your forgiveness because your, your pastor had underestimated what wonderful disciples of Jesus you are. I have been absolutely thrilled through these last couple of months as the reports have come rolling in about how you're connecting with God and other people, going out of your way to do it, being careful and at the same time, how you are growing in your faith and taking real responsibility for your own personal growth when you couldn't gather for Bible studies and those things. And then how you are serving and serving and serving, just, just enjoying the life of Christ and, and being the, uh, an example, a believable example of the living love of Christ to your neighbors. Uh, there's, there's just not a better church. There's not a church out there that's doing it better than you are during the quarantine. And I'm proud of you. And I love this beautiful version of you that I've had a privilege to see over the course of these last several weeks. So it's just right and fitting for me to, to spend my last four weeks with you looking at the book of Philippians and saying, see how much you're like the church at Philippi. It'll also offer us a little bit of help because no matter where we are on this maturity scale, no matter how well we're doing, the truth is there's always room to grow. There's good things for us to experience and good things for us to do out there in front of us. And so it becomes very important, as we all know, to not just say, oh, well, we've arrived. We'll just stay right here. So let's dig into Philippians again today and take a look at how it is that we can become more like the church that God dreamed that we would be when 99 years ago this congregation was given birth. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2, so you may want to turn over to that. Paul ends chapter 1, though, by, by teaching that God has given both you and me uh, a couple of things. We, this is kind of how we, the, the meat of the sermon last week is an introduction today. The, chapter 1 ends uh, by Paul teaching that God has given both you and me a couple of things. He's given us faith for salvation. We're thankful for that. But he has also given us a struggle that will refine us. Most of the time, most people, being honest, are very grateful for salvation and not very grateful for tests and hardship. And yet we read that, the, that even the struggle is given to us by God 
as a way of refining and strengthen, strengthening us. We learned last week something about that struggle. Struggle, we, we definitely don't enjoy it as much as we do the salvation. If we're honest, we're not as thankful for that as we are for salvation. But we learned last week that the God who is very much committed to revealing himself to us, to showing us his love, very deeply committed at great personal cost to pay the price of forgiveness and salvation. The God who is making a great plan for us in heaven with him. The God who dreamed this incredible kingdom that is is all the more growing and every day becoming a greater reality, even in the midst of the rubble of our fallen world. That God, as committed as he was to saving us, he is equally committed to entering into our struggle with us and helping us to overcome it. Listen now, God in your struggle, that's good news, but it never is going to make the struggle easy. It's very important to understand that when, that when God wades into the struggle with us, it doesn't make the struggle easy. If it's easy, it isn't a struggle, right? So a little bit of, uh, let's say, reverse engineering there. I think many of us have, have looked at our lives and said, why do I continue to struggle in area X? Is God not with me? Have I drifted away from him? Struggle is not an indication that we have drifted from God or that God has drifted from us. It just means that we are alive in a very fallen and broken world. In fact, we read elsewhere in the scriptures, uh, let's see, um, Hebrews chapter 12, that, that this struggle, the fact that we are, in fact, struggling with some very difficult things, the writer of Hebrews said that's an indication that we are authentic sons and daughters of God. So... Well, everyone in this world struggles. The things that we struggle with uniquely as, as uh, children of God, as, as part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, they are an authenticating work and sign of God's presence with us and of his love for us. So even though he enters into the struggle with us, it does not make the struggle easy. But listen, it will always always, always make the struggle productive. I'm going to say it again. God entering into the struggle with us will never make it easy, but it will always, always, always make the struggle productive. There are lots of things we struggle with on our own. We ignore God. We ignore his ways. We struggle to find our way through him. We may struggle with things that we know outright from reading scripture are sin. And I'm trying to make those things okay in my life. I'm trying to do these things that the scriptures say are, are not only not productive, but are in fact damaging and ultimately bring death. Some of us hang on to those things and we struggle to try to keep them in our lives and still build our lives in strength and love. And hmm, we find that doesn't work very well. When we invite God into any struggle, a struggle with temptation, a struggle with some other kind of test, a struggle with sorrow, when you invite God into any kind of struggle at any level, it doesn't mean the struggle will go away, but it does mean that this struggle now is about to become productive. It's going to produce something in me that that is a better version of me and a more enjoyable version of me and makes a more enjoyable version of life, even of the struggle. It begins to take some of the pain and some of the sorrow out of the struggle. Whatever it is that, that, I don't know how much weight, how strong you are physically, how much weight you could actually carry. But I know if we put the maximum amount of weight that you could hold and placed it on your shoulders, 
I know that the second that somebody else stepped underneath it, you'd still have a pretty heavy load. But your experience of the struggle of, of bearing up under that would instantly be changed. Not only would it become a little bit lighter, but your heart suddenly does something when it realizes there's somebody right there with me who cares enough to enter into the struggle with me. So while, G, the, while the Lord entering into our struggle doesn't make it easy, it does always make it productive. Having him there with us changes our experience of it and changes us in the process. Knowing that God is in it to win it with us can help to revolutionize our very experience of the struggle. So that the struggle, we no longer have the question, is the struggle going to end in failure? Is the struggle going to end in defeat? Is it, is it going to remain this thing on the horizon of which I must always be afraid? Oh no, the struggle. Oh no, the struggle. Knowing that God is in it to win it with us can help revolutionize our experience of struggle because we don't have to be afraid of it. But listen, knowing that God's in it to win it with us and knowing how to put his love and grace at work in our lives during the struggle can help us not only stand up in the struggle, but become victorious. Now, if you're a person who's in the middle of a struggle right now, I know you want it to end. I wish I could tell you that the struggle is about to end. I don't know that that's the case. For some of us, there's some struggles that we're going to struggle with all of our lives long. We want to know how it is, if I'm going to struggle, that I can be a winner in the struggle, right? Hey, listen, guys, I'm just going to talk to you right now. Men, there's some struggles unique to manhood and to male sexuality that that many of us face every single day of our lives. Inviting God into that struggle can be transformative in two ways. Number one, I can know that I'm not alone. And number two, I can know that even though I may always struggle, I can be on the winning side of the struggle. I'd love to be able to tell you that your struggles in life are going to go away the second that you say yes to Jesus. That's just a lie. But I can tell you that when you invite him into your life and when you invite him into your struggle, not only does the struggle become less fearful, but it becomes possible for you to be an overcomer in the struggle whenever you go up against the difficult thing that you're facing. Well, the big question then is, how do I put his love and grace to work in my life so that I can be winning in this struggle? Cliff, if I'm going to struggle every day, you better tell me how it is that I can win in the struggle. And I'd, I'd love to be able to tell you that. I'm not going to make this up. I'm just going to read it from the scriptures because the apostle Paul tells us how we can put God's love and his grace to work in our lives in such a way that we can overcome in that struggle. And get this, that, that victory can, can be so incredibly thorough that we end up becoming like Jesus himself. Not my claim, the claim of the scriptures. Let's take a look at it. It's uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Uh, when we gather here, when we gather here, here in this place, I'm usually in the habit of inviting our people as a show of respect and honor for God and, and gratitude for what he's given us in his word to stand for the reading of the scriptures. And so I'll invite you to do that at home right now too. Lord, it's in humility and faith and gratitude that we, we pause for a moment before you and we turn to the scriptures. Thank you for them. Use them to turn the lights on in our hearts in our minds, and on the path in front of us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Paul writes this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, 
If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. I could probably just stop and say, there's the sermon for the day. But Paul doesn't stop, so let's keep reading. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, so the reality of life is that we're going to struggle. We are struggling right now. The very fact that I'm standing in front of a camera and an almost empty room, that's a struggle for me. The fact that you're seated in your living room, wherever you are, not able to be with the worshiping body, those folks that you call church family, that's a struggle for you. Some of you have lost jobs during this or have had your hours cut. Some of you have been very sick. Some of you have lost loved ones. You are in a struggle right now. But God has promised to be with us in this struggle. That's good news. And the the fact that he's going to be with us, that knowledge, that faith, it brings us a little bit of comfort, doesn't it? But Paul mentioned some ways that you have probably experienced that comfort. He starts this passage by saying, there's some encouragement you've received from being united with Jesus, right? I mean, just knowing that he's with you, there's some encouragement that comes from that. He says there's some comfort from knowing that not only is he with us, but he loves us. Remember the definition of love? Love is a demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above myself, even at great personal expense by the help of the Spirit. That's, that's what we mean when we say Jesus loves us. He demonstrated that he preferred our well-being over his own, even at great personal expense, and didn't try to do that on his own, but lived by the power of the Spirit, as we've learned before in studying Christ's baptism and the coming of the Spirit upon him. And so Paul tells us there's this encouragement that comes from being united with Jesus. There's a comfort that comes knowing that we are loved by him. Hey, friend, are you struggling today with grief? Struggling with sorrow? Some of you, when we say the word grief, that's usually the, the, the word that means we've lost somebody close to us. I know some of you are grieving the death of loved ones. Maybe you're a person who has a, a, a sick member of your family and you don't know how this is going to turn out. And despite your very best intentions and, and hopes otherwise, you find yourself kind of pre-grieving. I lived there for the last couple of weeks. My Uncle Wes and my Aunt Barb, elderly people in their, in their mid-80s, both diagnosed with the, the COVID-19 virus and its resulting disease, Uncle Wes has been to death's door and knocking a number of times. I've asked, I've asked you, my, my church family, and my Facebook family to pray for my uncle. I'm here to report today 
that my uncle has been moved from the hospital back to the, the care facility where he and my aunt live together, and he's gotten all kinds of sassy and difficult to deal with, which means that Uncle Wes is well and, uh, and, and on his way to recovery, and I give thanks for that. But I'm going to tell you that for two weeks, it just looked like my elderly uncle was wasting away and was going to die. I started worrying about how do we have a funeral? When you can't have funerals. How does the pastor in the family make it back there when we can't travel? And there was a sadness and a heaviness that, that, that I just bore. I was, I was pre-grieving my uncle's death. Some of you are pre-grieving some things that, that seem so likely and so difficult out in front of you. Whether you're actually grieving or pre-grieving, the passage that we read today says, you know, not only is there an, an encouragement that comes in the struggle, knowing that Jesus is right there pulling in the harness with me, there's also a comfort for me and a comfort for you that comes from knowing that Jesus isn't just in it. He's not just there doing his duty. He loves us. And deep within his heart, there's a passionate love, a tender love, a compassionate love. So as he stands there next to us, helping us with the struggle, he hurts as we hurt. Stands in the puddle of our tears, shedding his own right alongside us. I know this much. When I have been the most grief stricken, alone is the last thing I want to be. Somebody coming, my family, my friends coming alongside me who love me. There's a great comfort in that. And I want you to know if you're sitting in your living room alone today, you are not alone. The simple fact there's no other human in the room with you does not mean that you are alone. Jesus himself is with you, and he wants you to experience a comfort that comes from knowing he's not just there, but that he loves you. Paul says in the struggle, you can, you can gain some encouragement from being united with Jesus. You can gain some comfort from knowing he's not just with you, that he loves you. But he also says that there is this, this, thing, this other thing that, that helps us, and it comes from having a common ground with other strugglers. A common ground that comes from seeing that other people are struggling too, even some of them who we might think are more religious than us or better Christians than us or filled with the Spirit or pure in heart. We often do this comparison thing where we look at other Christ followers, folks who've, who've been at it longer or folks who seem to get started far more passionately or stay on track when I did a little wandering. But there's this, this common ground with other strugglers all along the way, no matter their station in this journey. There's a common ground that begins to bring some comfort and some help when we realize that the strongest among us struggle. I've, I'll mention what I've mentioned about strugglers again this morning that I've mentioned so many other times. I think it's real easy to level a charge of hypocrisy against the church. There are many people, probably some watching today, who have said, I'll never be part of a church again. I'll do this, this live stream thing and I'll follow Jesus on my own, but I'll never be a part of a church again because churches are full of hypocrites. Churches are not full of hypocrites. Churches are full of strugglers, right? Oh, there's a few hypocrites, but there's hypocrites at the gym. There's people who work out and then eat like garbage. There are people at your job who are hypocrites. There are people perhaps on your couch who are hypocrites. Right? There's hypocrites around. There just are. There are hypocrites in the church. But the church isn't full of hypocrites. The church is full of strugglers. Hypocrites are people who very intentionally are deceiving others, trying to make them think they're something when they're not. 
I know a lot of church people. I know a lot of church people. I know a lot of church people very well. They let me close because I'm their pastor. I find that most people aren't out there chest puffed up saying, look at what a fantastic Christian I am. Most people that I know say, Pastor, I'm struggling. Would you pray for me? Church is a place where the strugglers get together and there's a help and an encouragement that comes from knowing that the most successful businessman that's a part of our church family, the, the unemployed person in the church family, the most physically strong person in the church family, the ones in wheelchairs in the church family, the wealthy, the poor, the, all the extremes and all of us in between, we're strugglers. And there's a great help and encouragement and comfort that comes from being able to look at the other strugglers and saying they're struggling and they're, going, they're, they're hanging in there. there there's, there's this thing that helps me keep in my struggle instead of giving up when I see that the others, the best, the brightest, the strongest, the richest, the most powerful, and all the folks on the other end of those continuums, that they are all hanging in there with me too. So uh, thank the Lord that he's with us. Thank you that he gives us his love. And thank you that he puts me in close company with other strugglers. It's worth putting up with a, few, with a few hypocrites in order to get to be with a bunch of strugglers like me. But Paul also tells us that there's some other things that, that can help encourage and comfort us. He says that there is a tenderness and compassion from God's spirit is ministered directly to ours. He doesn't tell us there's some doctrines that if you believe them will help you get over it. He doesn't tell us here's some principles and, and, and spiritual ideas that the church has decided are true. So if you get a hold of them and, and quit arguing with them and just settle into it and believe what you're told, that you'll be better. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a real live person, the spirit of the living God who comes to live inside of us, not just with us, inside of us. And from the interior recesses of our hearts and minds, he comes not only with his power, but he brings all of that, that power with tenderness, compassion, and gentleness. He lovingly builds up our spirits from within. Listen, I don't know what you're struggling with today. I don't know what, I know some of what you're struggling with today. I don't know at all. But I would guess that if you were a person who came to believe that you could be united with Jesus, that you could be loved by a holy and powerful God, that you could have common ground with other strugglers, and you had God whispering tender and compassionate love to your heart, my guess is you'd, you'd suddenly find that this, this struggle, I feel better even in the middle of it, and I fear it less, and I start to believe that I'm going to become an overcomer. These things were promised to us in just the first few sentences that we read together today. We believe in these things. We're grateful for these things. But sometimes just the head knowledge of that doesn't produce much in our experience of it, does it? When we're struggling, frankly, the knowledge that the God is with us while helpful, it can be kind of hard for us to, to process and access and experience. And, and mere head knowledge that God is with us sometimes doesn't produce horsepower for living. 
Knowledge of the doctrine that God's present everywhere, great doctrine. But if I can't find him in the middle of my struggle, if I can't feel him in the middle of my tears, the knowledge of it doesn't help much. I still feel as though I'm alone. And then when I feel alone, I'll probably act like I'm alone. So how can we take this, these promises, all these good things, how can we take the, this promise for him to be with us and to, to minister to us his love in such tender, compassionate ways? How can we then turn that into horsepower that helps us be winners and overcomers in the middle of the struggle, in our battles against temptation or discouragement or bitterness or anger? Paul says it happens by putting into practice two principles that he teaches us in this passage. If you only had to do two things to become a real overcomer in your life's greatest ongoing struggle, do you think you could suck up the courage or the, or the patience or the endurance or the something to learn those two things and try them? Let's take a look. The first one is this. Paul teaches us to decide to agree with people. Well, that suddenly seems pretty hard, doesn't it? To agree with people. All I have to do to find out who I disagree with is turn on my phone. All I have to do to find somebody that I really do not agree with is turn on the television. Turn on the radio in my pickup as I'm driving across town. Somebody's going to say something where I think, what planet is that dude from? How could you possibly look at life in those terms and think that you were a sane human being? All I have to do is turn on anything other than my own mouth and I will find something that I disagree with. I have that tendency. I'm, I'm Facebook friends with many of you. I see you have that tendency too, <laughs> right? It's, it's part of the, the, the common human struggle. The Apostle Paul tells us that this same God who saved us, who is equally committed to getting into the struggle with us, who treats us in the ways that we've already learned about today by, by uniting us with his very spirit, by loving us and doing that with, with tenderness and compassion, by giving us common strugglers. He says, hey, when you're among those strugglers, if you want all of that goodness of God to suddenly turn into something that produces strength and victory for you in the middle of the struggle, you're going to have to do something hard, but he's going to give you the help of his spirit to do it. And here's what it is. Start agreeing with people instead of disagreeing. We in America camp out on our rights because there was a document written a long time ago where somebody, not inspired by the Holy Spirit in the same way that the Scripture writers were, said that we have certain unalienable rights. And freedom was one of those. And as soon as we read that, we all grab a hold of that and mount up and assume that I now have the freedom to disagree with everybody. I get to say what I think. I get to own my own truth. I get to speak it out there, and other people have got to hear it. We don't like it when other people believe that as strongly as we do, that their, their opinions should be aired. I'm going to tell you that there's some ways that being a Christian might make you less American. That if you live your life seeking truth from this document, it might bring you squarely into conflict with one that was written a couple hundred years ago where instead of insisting upon your rights, you decide, you know what's more important than my ideas is unity and peace with my brothers. Instead of assuming everybody has a right to my opinion, what if I ask the Lord to change my heart and change my mind? I know a lot of Christians. I'm one of them. 
And for a very long time, I prayed, Lord, change my heart, change my heart. But I assumed I was right. I've been asking the Lord lately, do you want to change my mind on anything? I know if the Lord changed my mind and changed your mind, it might become possible for us to experience love at a deeper level. We might be able to, to enjoy spending time with one another a little bit more. And in that shared time and shared love and that strengthened relationship, we might, we might find some way to help some other people. The Apostle Paul said, you want, you want to put the, the love, the tender, compassion, the work of the Spirit in, in, in your internal man or woman? You want to put that to work in a way that helps you become an overcomer? Start working on agreeing with people instead of always seeing how their argument breaks down, how their politics are wrong, how their religion is wrong. Start asking the Lord to do a work in your life that brings you, you into agreement with other people. It might require change on your part. It might require change on theirs, or it might require change in both. And he tells us to become like-minded. Listen to what he said. Make my joy complete. If you got any of those good things from God, make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded. In order for any group of people to become like-minded, one or more of us are going to have to change our minds. Hmm. Decide to agree with people. That's number one on the list. Number two is this. While you're agreeing with people, decide to take second place to other people. That's also not a very American thing. I get to push toward the front. I get to take care of number one. Turns out I'm always number one. Self-promotion. It's, uh, it, it's how we do life and how we do business. Not just say, America, how's that working for us so far? I mean, like today, like in the middle of a recession, like when there's great wealth disparity so that some people literally don't know what to do with all their money and other people in the United States of America are going hungry. How's that working for us? Self-promotion. Don't, I don't think it's working that great. The Apostle Paul teaches us that one of the ways that we can take all this love and this goodness that God gives us and put it to work in our lives so that it produces a spiritual strength that I can overcome so I can overcome in my struggles if I decide that I will take second place to other people. Where does it say that, Cliff? Well, just look at, the, at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. What if they're not better than me? Ask the Lord to change your mind. We go back to step one, right? And step number two is, even if an honest assessment of that person over there is that they're not a better person than me, he doesn't say pretend like they are. He just says consider them. Consider them better than yourself. It means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit thinking of myself as better than that guy because every time that I puff up my ego and think I'm better than him, I'm better than her, I will very quickly lose the sense of the closeness of God's Holy Spirit. I will very quickly lose the experience of the tender compassion of his love because I'm not offering it to anybody else. 
He says, if you want to take all this love, this goodness that God brings into union with your spirit, you want it to transform you so that instead of losing the struggle, you start winning in the struggle. He says, why don't you start agreeing with people and why don't you decide to take second place to other people? I liked the love part, Cliff. I liked the tender compassion, Pastor. I loved it when you said that his spirit goes places deep within me and whispers to me things that no one else can ever hear. And he whispers them into the the darkness where the lies and the doubts and the pain have been hiding. I know you do because I like those things too. The Apostle Paul says those things can end up making a difference for us if we do two things. Decide to agree with people and decide to take second place to them. What if today in your marriage you decided, I'm going to take second place? Whatever the other person wants, whatever the other person needs, whatever the other person prefers, that's what we're going to do. What if, what if in, in your relationship with your children, instead of winning the argument today, you just decided to show love and let them think what they think. Let them act as they've chosen instead of having to be right, Dad. You just loved them, took second place, decided to lose the argument. Hmm. What if on the job tomorrow, instead of fighting for your position so that you can get that next promotion or win the argument in the office, you just decided that you would love and that you could make a pretty significant contribution from second chair or third or fourth? What if we decided to agree with people, but we also decided to take second place in any relationship that we're in? I'll be the less important of the two. I will, I will serve your needs over mine. The Apostle Paul seems to think that if we can't get out of struggles in this life, we can at least become victorious in the struggles in life if we take the love that God has given us and ministers to the interior of our hearts and we put it into action by agreeing and by agreeing to take second place in every relationship in our lives. You're in a struggle right now. I know you are. So am I. When the COVID thing's over, there'll just be a new struggle, some other struggle, some struggle that remains from before. You're going to struggle because you're alive. The question is, do you want to become an overcomer in that struggle? Do you want to know that you're winning it? Do you want your experience to be less uh, fraught with with fear and with worry and with self-doubt? Then become obedient to Christ in this manner, the way that the Apostle Paul shows us. Receive the love and the tender care of God. Drink that in. Revel in it. And then let the very next thing that you and I do be the business of deciding to agree instead of contend and to take second place instead of always putting myself first. Well, Pastor, those things seem hard. They are hard. Good news is there's a Holy Spirit who's strong enough to, to make all of that possible in us. I may be weak, but his spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail. My God, he never will. We sang it at the very beginning of the service. Let's ask him to do it, Lord. We're going to need you to continue your work in our lives. Because 
when, when I work, my, my tendency is to promote me. When I work, my tendency is to defend me. When I'm just on autopilot, my tendency is to agree with my ideas, assuming that I'm right, and then look for the great opportunities that I may have, or the least little opportunities, to inform others so that they can come to agree with the great me. That's what I do in my flesh when I'm on autopilot. But your spirit has come to live in me and has come to live in the hearts of so many people who are listening today. And I see in this book, the letter to the Philippians, so many ways that First Naz Lewiston is like the Christians in Philippi. And we want to be like them in these ways too. We want to be not just like the Philippians. We want to be like the Philippians because they were like you, Jesus. You, didn't, you were equal with God. You just didn't consider it something you were going to grasp and hold on to. So you took the form of a servant. We just read it. Instead of seizing things, you let go. Instead of holding on to things, you poured them out and surrendered them. Instead of taking your rightful place, you instead humbled yourself. And so we read in the scriptures that it was with joy that you went to the cross. What? You mean we could, we could actually become overcomers and triumphant enough that in the middle of a, of a hardship like, like crucifixion level, it's possible for us to experience victory and joy? Lord, I pray for every person today who uh, as soon as I start talking about struggle, said, that's where I'm living. I pray that your spirit who lives in them now would, would, would come and confirm to them this word from the scriptures that the real key to victory is if we would simply decide to agree with people and we would decide to take second place. How about we just, I'll stop talking, Lord, and I'll let you Speak to our hearts for just a moment. Is there a, an argument that, that I've been involved in recently where you want me to stop the arguing? If you'll just mention the name of that person to my heart, Lord, my answer will be an obedient yes, Lord. I listen for your voice. Okay, Lord. That argument is officially over feels better already. Lord, would you, would you now speak to our hearts and minds and point out to us any person uh, where we have insisted on putting ourselves first in that relationship? Would you bring to mind uh, any person that I have treated as less important? If you show me, Lord, I will change my actions from here forward. Beyond that, I will go out of my way to do one thing that will demonstrate a clear priority of that other person in our relationship. If you mention a name now, Lord, the answer is already yes. We listen for your voice. Yes, Lord. Lord, that's a struggle. The, the, the person you mentioned to me, that's a struggle that's literally been going for years. 
been trying to get them to do it my way. Thank you, Lord, for victory in that struggle. I'll be second. No more having to fight to get my way. Who knew it could be this easy? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Help my friends as well. I pray in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hey, First Naz, thank you for joining us today. Uh, you didn't just tune in, you joined us, right? You worshiped with us, you prayed with us, you studied the scriptures with us, you listened for the voice of the Holy Spirit with us. Thank you for doing that. Next week, a bunch of us will be able to do that right here in the in mostly the ways that we that we have in the past. Take a look at the First Naz Lewiston Facebook page for some instructions on how to do that. Um, while you're doing internet kind of things, please don't forget to um, be faithful in your tithes and offerings. You've been doing a great job with that. You can go to firstnaz.com, click on the donate uh, tab, or if you're typing it in, firstnaz.com slash donate, it'll take you right to the donate page. You can also download for your smartphone an app. It's a free app called Tithely, T-I-T-H-E, the, like the Christian word tithe, dot L-Y, Tithely. And you can set that up so that you can uh, now and in the future um, give tithes and offerings of any size just by a, a handful of quick clicks. And uh, that could be an important way for us to worship together as well. Thanks for joining us and for being faithful in those ways. When we all get back together over the course of the next few months, you are going to be amazed by the stories that you hear of the generosity with which God's people who are part of the First Nation family have welled up and helped other people in our church and in the surrounding community. But First Naz also has made obligations to folks like, uh, like the Paul and Melissa Clark family, like the, like the Brooke Thomases in our world, who are a part of our church and who are missionaries scattered all around the globe. We want to make sure that we can continue to meet those needs too. So your, your continued giving to uh, First Naz is, uh, is exceedingly important, but you already know it because you're living it. Just wanted to remind you of what you've already been doing. Well, my friends, uh, next week we get a chance to, to be together. And I'll get to meet with you a couple of times over the next two Sundays as your pastor. And then uh, Laura and Luke and Faith and I will be heading to Grandview, Washington. Please know, one more time, let me just tell you, it's not because we don't love you. It's not because we have stopped loving you. It's not because someone offended us. It's not because I'm frustrated or we're giving up. Because God who uh, tapped me on the shoulder, made it clear that he was bringing me here, has done that one more time. I encourage you, live your life surrendered to God and his will. It is the most incredible ride. A hard one, but a deeply satisfying one. And in the end, you and I will both bring him glory and honor. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for the many expressions of love and gratitude that you uh, have offered to our family, both but the phone calls and some in-person visits and, and lots of this stuff that you've been doing. Um, you are helping us as we uh, are drawing this, this chapter of our lives somewhat to a close. You've been a great help and great comfort to us. What do you know? What do you know by, by actually dwelling in unity with brothers and sisters? My family and I are finding the strength to overcome in this struggle exactly as Paul taught us. 
Live it, my friends, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so may you know his comforting presence, his tender and compassionate love, and then joy, peace, and strength thereby. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you.